In just a few moments, I'm going to be reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, if you want to have your Bibles open. Uh, We're in a sermon series, Mapping FBC's DNA. What makes us unique? What is God's unique imprint in our lives? And what is God's unique calling uh, leading us uh, to do and to be? Uh, This is a result of our setting sail and the vision that God has uh, given us for practically carrying that out. So we'll better understand what God is uniquely leading us to be and to do along the way. So, before I read this morning's scripture, I invite you to bow with me for a time of silence, to be in God's holy presence. This morning, gracious creator, we praise you for who you are and all of your holiness and majesty and beauty. We love you and we confess to you our sins and our brokenness and all those ways that we fail to see the gospel right in front of us. We fail to see Christ in others. We confess to you all the ways that we don't make the connect between what we hear on Sunday and what we live and the choices we make through the week. Forgive us, cleanse us by your Holy Spirit, renew us, set us free from the slavery of our sins, bring us into the liberty and abundance of life in Christ. And as we serve in a world that is full of neglect and harsh treatment, when people are devalued, where words are cruel, help us to live into the contrast of your tender care. Reassure us daily of your love and your work in our lives when we are discouraged. Make us your instruments. And Lord, we pray that we will be your transforming presence in this community and that we will hear with fresh ears the words of Scripture this morning as they are read and as they are taught. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. And now Luke's gospel, chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. And if you're able, would you stand please as I read aloud God's word. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee And a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. And he began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. As he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down, the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. 
The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Over 200 years ago, Lewis and Clark launched their famous expedition. They were, of course, you know from history classes, exploring the unknown vast expanse of the Louisiana Purchase. Uh, They were headed in a way that uh, was going to be very surprising for them. A book has been written uh, not long ago, Canoeing the Mountain. And in that book, he actually makes a comparison or an analogy to the work of the kingdom to Christian uh, churches. He points out that Lewis and Clark started that expedition with a faulty assumption. The assumption was that everything ahead of them was going to be just like everything behind them. That the unexplored world in the West was going to be exactly like the civilized world they had known in the East. They were wrong. The West was nothing like the East. The land was full of surprises, and so what Lewis and Clark had to do was improvise. They had to be creative. They had to be innovative. And Bollinger makes this comparison of what the church of Jesus Christ, especially in America, faces today. We have to be ready for the reality that life is going to be different than it has been. The ministry field, our own lives, are different than they used to be. It's not like it was. We have to look forward and be ready to innovate. That's why... Several years ago, we launched this season of prayer and discernment in preparation for our visioning process and our strategy. We didn't do it because we lacked anything to do and we were bored. We did it because the world had changed under our feet and some of us needed to be reminded of that. For example, there has been a culture shift from the time this sanctuary was built in the mid-1980s There's been a culture shift uh, that actually lines up with Scripture's teaching. That culture shift is that people are no longer attracted to buildings and to church programs. Used to be you build a building, they come. The church announces three programs or six or twelve programs all lining up with people's needs. People come. The world has changed. People are drawn to relationships And people are drawn to passionate mission. But they are not necessarily drawn to programs. They're drawn to passionate mission. And Luke is very careful to point out some interesting details that we might miss uh, at the first reading. In the fourth chapter of his gospel, Jesus has been in the south, around the Dead Sea, in the wilderness, the desert, for his time of temptation, but now he goes back north to Galilee, and then he settles in Nazareth. Luke wants us to know that Jesus, the Son of God, is on the move, that Jesus, God's Son, is not limited, that the power of God is not nailed down to a building, that the power of God doesn't have one foot nailed down to church programs or to any organization or institution. Luke wants us to know that the Spirit of God is on the loose and requires innovation if we're going to keep up with where the Spirit of God is moving. 
You know, I've, I've thought uh, since we've been in this visioning process and the setting sail that if there was any tweaking to the name of our church, it might simply be in the preposition. Instead of being called First Baptist Church of Jefferson City, maybe we should be called First Baptist Church in Jefferson City. Because the reality is that what we're passionate about is loving this community. We want this community to know Christ. We want to meet needs. We want to help people. We're not just of Jefferson City, as if it's some kind of institutional corporate relationship. We are in the city for Jesus Christ. I love this uh, quote by uh, Tom Bandy, who's written a lot of books about shifting culture and congregational health. He says, ask yourself this question. What is it that Christ is doing in your life that your community cannot do without? What a great thought. And as we did our visioning and as we established priorities of implementing our vision through setting sail, we asked questions like this, though I had not seen that question until I prepared for this sermon. But But it really captures what is it Christ is doing in our lives that Jefferson City and Cole County and the surrounding area simply cannot do without. That's what it means to be in the city. There's been another culture shift. It's been subtle, but it's been palpable. And it also aligns with Scripture. Culturally, people are much more aware of the difference Christ can make in this life, not just in the life to come. People are more open to the, to the deeds on this earth, not just the, the going to heaven part. In fact, Luke's gospel in particular, but all four gospels make it very clear that salvation in Jesus Christ is about more than going to heaven when we die. I'm going to say that again because some of us who've been Baptist since Noah's Ark need to hear it. Salvation in Jesus Christ in Luke's gospel, and yet in all four, is about more than going to heaven when we die. It's about the difference that Christ and the kingdom of God make in this world. Now, don't get me wrong. The gospel is indeed about the next world. I tell you what, when Rob was singing, I thought, Jesus, just take us on up right now. Didn't you feel that way? I mean, that song, and the way he, wow. But think about it. If we were only saved for heaven, why doesn't God just zap us the day we get converted to Christ and take us on to heaven? He leaves us here for a reason. But yes, heaven, yes, forgiveness of sins. I want desperately for this community to know the difference that Christ makes in my life, the peace he gives, the joy he gives, the liberation from sin and guilt, uh, the transforming uh, presence he is in the hour of death. How desperately I want people to know about that eternal hope. But what did Jesus teach us in the model prayer? Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was pretty concerned about this world. And so, 
Jesus, when he preached this sermon in his hometown, in the synagogue, he opened to Isaiah 61, and he's reading from the prophet Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. Two words there that are interestingly enough about both this world and the world to come. He has come, he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Who are the poor? In the gospel, sometimes that word is used for the economically poor, for the oppressed, for the people who have no home, who have no resources, but it is also a word that is used for those who are spiritually bankrupt, for those who have no hope, for those who have no relationship with God, no relationship meaningfully with others. The poor is all-inclusive, and the good news is that Jesus is that good news for the poor. See, because we live with the illusion of self-sufficiency, we forget that the Spirit of God can really only work when there's a vacuum in our hearts, when there's a lack, when there's a need. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the poor and the poor in spirit, depending on the gospel you're reading, because he knew that the only people who are open to the work of God are the ones who acknowledge a lack, a deficiency. But when we live in our Western culture of pretend self-sufficiency, we forget that. And the second word to notice that is both this world and the next, he has anointed me to let the oppressed go free. The oppressed are the ones who are battered and bruised. It was a word that was used for when a fine piece of, of uh, pottery was taken and thrown down and it shattered into, a, into dozens of little pieces. It was, it was scarred and marred irreparably. This is the oppressed, and the oppressed can be the physically oppressed as well as the spiritually oppressed. But here's another interesting thing about this passage. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, to let the oppressed go free in two places, Jesus uses the same Greek word. Release and to go free. And in the New Testament, that word is used for both forgiveness of sins and being physically liberated from a jail or a prison. So it may mean eternal life, being liberated from our sins, or it may mean to be oppressed from systems that are unfair and unjust. It's not one or the other, it's both. Jesus and his salvation is about this world and the next. And here's what I think. I think 100 years from now, sociologists and historians are going to look back at the American church and I think their assessment is going to be that the American church, especially the evangelicals and the Baptists, were dead on, spot on about eternal salvation and forgiveness of sins and the life to come. I think they're going to say, wow, were they clear in that message. 
But I think those same historians and sociologists and theologians are going to look at the church of the 21st century and say, why was the church so silent about poverty and racial justice? Because Jesus, in his inaugural sermon, chose the prophet Isaiah chapter 61 to talk about both kinds of work of God in this world and the world to come. If you look back in church history, the church has always been at its best when we were caring for both this world and the world to come. When we were preaching a holistic, healthy gospel of Jesus cares about your earthly needs, and he cares about your eternal soul. If you look back, the church has been at her best when she was not only preaching salvation and forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ, but building hospitals, orphanages, homes for the elderly, preaching against slavery, preaching against oppression and child uh, labor abuse in the 19th century, and on and on and on. And if you look carefully at this church's history, We have always been at our best. We have made the most impact in this community when we have been preaching both the eternal gospel of salvation through grace and eternal life through Christ and being engaged and involved in loving this community in a very concrete way. This past fall, several of us had the the great privilege of traveling to Ukraine uh, to connect with our partners there. And before we even made it to Lviv, the the city where our partner church is, we stopped for a day in Kiev, right at the heart of Ukraine, the capital of Ukraine. And we toured the House of Mercy. The House of Mercy was started by, by our sisters and brothers who had a burden for the homeless of that city. And guess what demographic is the largest of the homeless of Kiev? The elderly. Elderly people who have been cheated out of their savings by ruthless and uncaring children or professional people and homeless elderly people who had to flee the war in eastern Ukraine in 2014 and came west without their documents. So they don't have documentation that they they are who they say they are to receive their pension. So House of Mercy starts renting apartments and taking in the elderly off the street, loving them, arranging money to have cataract surgery, or bone surgery, or something uh, that just provides dignity and, and warmth and meals, and they tell them about Jesus. They say, we're doing this because of Jesus Christ. Let us tell you about him. And the director of the House of Mercy told us this. He said, the Russian Orthodox Church is not trusted by the common people. Because the Russian Orthodox Church is too close to the government, too close to the Kremlin. 
but people are drawn to us because they see we care about their earthly, physical needs. They listen to the gospel because they know we're real. And the church in America has to make a decision. Are we going to cozy up to government leaders to be mouthpieces for politicians on the right or left? Or are we going to be uniquely the church and love our community in the name of Jesus Christ? Kristen Hilty, the executive director of uh, Common Ground, spoke to our deacons a few months ago about homelessness in Jefferson City. And she shared with us an array of resources. And she expressed her gratitude for the way that uh, First Baptist Church partners with Common Ground, in not only with personnel, but with financial resources. But then she said something that I jotted down just as quickly as she said it because I was afraid I'd forget. She said, in working with the homeless and nearly homeless, what we call our community friends, she said, you can give advice, you can hand them money, you can connect them to professional services, she said, but the thing that really, really, really moves their lives forward constructively is when we as Christians establish relationships with them. Get to know them. Learn their names. Hear their story. And then she said, and make friends with them without judging them. Make friends with them without preconditions. I will love you if, I will love you when. She spoke the gospel. Can you, uh, those of you who are parents or grandparents, can you try to measure how fiercely you love your child or your grandchild or your great-grandchild? Can you put a quantity on that? And if you're not a parent or grandparent or great-grandparent, think about how fiercely you love a cousin or a niece or a nephew or a pet or a dear friend. Now you multiply that fierce love by one billion and you're still just tickling the edge of how much God loves you. But there's more. That's precisely how much God loves everybody in this community. Everybody. God's love for this community is fierce and eternal. And yes, God's love for this community is out of this world, but God's love for this community is also in this world. It's both. 